0: All right. Good morning to you. It is good to be in the house of the Lord and thank you for coming today. We've got, we sent a mission team to Branson, tongue in cheek. About 14 of our members or 12 of our members over in Branson and we've got some others away. And I'm just so glad that you came today. It's a great day. I'm going to tell you do something You're going to. Um, you may know someone today who needs to hear about joy and darkness and those kind of things. Why don't you text them right now on your phone and say, hey, go to Facebook." Dorisville's Facebook page and we'll click on that link and you can watch the service right now as it happens. So if you know someone who might need a word of encouragement today, why don't you do that? Text your friends and say, hey, tune in right now. Tune in right now. Because God's already blessed us, amen? I tell you what, you know, your grace still amazes me, but I'll tell you something else that amazes me is the generosity. As I watch you folks come forward, and I don't know what you put in pots, but as I watch families come together and all that, come together knowing every penny of this Goes to help people around the world. Not one penny for administration advertising, like G said, every penny goes. That is a great investment, and your generosity still, after 19 years, amazes me. God bless you for that. And let me tell you this, let me tell you this. Did you know you can give to these offerings like World Hunger or Lottie Miller it is anytime you want to? Did you know that that next week, if you want to, you can mark an offering envelope and put $5 in it and mark it for world hunger, and it'll get there? And did you know that if you put $5 a week in for a year, that's an offering of $260, and every dollar goes to world hunger? Did you know that? Did you know that? Did you know that you can do that with Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong? It's amazing how we can give. So that others' lives might be changed. Purely amazing. Well, listen, hey, we're in the middle of our series entitled Stormproof. We're learning how that we live in a stormy world and how can we stormproof our lives. As believers in Jesus Christ, and if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, the first step to stormproofing is that you become a follower of Jesus Christ. And at the end of our service, we'll have a decision time. Brother Brent will be standing down front and we'd love to answer your questions. ...about how you can know Jesus Christ personally um, yourself... ...and how you can have your sins forgiven and come into the family um, of God. But we're learning how to storm-proof our lives. And today is kind of an intentional follow-up to last week's message. And I entitled it, Laughter in the Rain Practicum. I know practicum is not a common word... um, ...but it's kind of one that fished around in my head for some reason. I don't know too many words over three syllables. And so that's three, so we're safe... Um, But anyway, practicum, yeah, it's three, it's three. And so anyway, what it means, it's basically this. Practicum is basically a graduate level course. In other words, let's say you're in a four-year university and you finish your your bachelor's degree and you want to go a little bit higher. You would take courses that were practicum, that they're graduate-level courses. And that is so perfect for this message series today because what we're going to do is we're going to look back at what we um, learned last week in a very practical, practical way. Now, you remember we introduced the the message last week. By a song 1975 called Laughter in the Rain. And the word said something like this Ooh, I hear laughter in the rain, uh, walking hand in hand with the one I love. Ooh, I love the rainy days and the happiness I feel inside. And I paired up my relationship with Judy in our early years. But the big takeaway was this is that we can have laughter in the rain as we walk with Jesus Christ in our lives. And when the storms come, and the clouds come, the rain comes, and Jesus Christ is walking hand in hand with him, it really can be a victory for us. And and then, do you notice the last line? It says, how I love the rainy days. Now watch. We can even learn to love the storms in our lives for the profitability that comes out in. And you know, last Sunday night in church, Dana Keating came up to me, and said hey I love the introduction to your message this morning but you know, let me throw something out to my life and she said one day she was at a flea market or something and she saw a little plaque that had this saying and she said I don't remember what it cost and it didn't matter I was going to buy it and here's what it said it said why wait for the storm to pass learn to dance in the rain isn't that good she's listening on the radio you better act like you liked it okay alright all right? I mean, it's really, it's really good. You know, why wait for the storm to pass? Learn to dance in the rain. Well, our kickoff first last week was Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. And that's where Paul said, now he's sitting in a Roman prison while he writes this. And he says, rejoice or be joyful. Rejoice in the Lord because of the Lord. Rejoice because the Lord always, no matter what the circumstances are, okay, we can rejoice because it's in the Lord. It's because of the Lord. And just in case we were slow learners, he then said, I will say it again, you need to learn to rejoice. Then we learn this real big takeaway because that that verse makes absolutely no sense. If emotion, I was going if joy is only an emotion, you know, we go, woohoo, boy, I feel good today. If that's all joy is, if joy is just a feeling, we'd have to rip that out of the Bible because you just can't walk around singing, you know, zippy doo dah, zippy day, oh my, what a wonderful day, you know, when you got cancer or when your loved one dies or you're in the nursing home and no, your family hasn't seen you in weeks. You can't do that. But, but what if, we learned this last week, what if joy is more than an emotion and what if joy is more than a feeling? What if biblical joy, and I need to put that caveat on it, because the world's joy is kind of like an emotion, but what if biblical joy was that deep sense of well-being that comes from faith in God and trust in His sovereign will? What if, what if, biblical joy was that deep sense of well-being That comes from faith in God and trust in His sovereign will. That's totally different. That's totally different. And all of a sudden, a whole chunk of the New Testament in the Bible starts making sense. It starts making sense because it's talking about this deep-scented sense of well-being based on faith in God and trust in His sovereign will. So so we want to jump off of, jump into now, this is our practicum part. How, How did this play out in Paul's life? And I really, listen, I really believe today that as we see it how it played out in Paul's life, it can see how it plays out in your life. And that's the deal. If, if the Word of God is nothing more than knowledge to us, it doesn't help us a whole lot. But when we learn that knowledge and learn how to apply it in our life where we are, it takes on a whole new dimension and a whole new power. Now, I just need to give you some background information, and then I need to tell you something very interesting. As I told you in Philippians 4.4, 4, Paul's sitting in a Roman prison, and he's writing a church. And where was that church located? In Philippi. In Philippi, okay? That's why it's the book of Philippians. Paul wrote a letter to the church at Philippi. What is crazy cool is that our scripture today in Acts, Acts chapter 16, starting in verse number 25, it's happening when Paul is in Philippi... And the church is being birthed. The church is being... The church of Philippi is being born in these scriptures. So in Philippians 4, he's writing back to this church. And in Acts 16 scripture was as it was happening. It was a live report as it was happening. And here's the background information. You just kind of need this. You kind of need to know what's going on, okay? So Paul and his entourage, okay, show up. Boy, that was a big word. Woo, write that one down. Score one for the preacher. Sound illiterate. How about that? All right? So so Paul and his troop, his group, okay, show up in, in Philippi, and they're there to share the gospel. So traditionally then, people would meet down by the river and sometimes would hold prayer meetings. So they went down to the river, and there was a group of people, and sure enough, they were praying. Now, not praying in the sense of, you know, as Jesus Praying in a sense to just God in general. And so, um, so they share the gospel. And a woman named Lydia, um, who is a wealthy businesswoman, a seller of purple, the Bible tells us, believed what they said and got saved. And then invited Paul and the group back into town, and they stayed at her house. She's the first convert, the first member of the church of Philippi. And so time kind of rolled by, you know, so not, not like months because they're only there several days. So like a couple of days passed by and they're going back down and forth to this river because that's where the church was. Okay, they didn't have, Judy, they didn't have walls. It wasn't a building. It was people. Okay. And so they're coming back and this, now note the word, note the adjective, a slave girl, a slave girl was following behind them and saying something like this, saying, hey, these men are telling you the way of salvation to the God Most High. And what had happened was this this girl was possessed by a demon. And the demon gave her the ability to see the future. And so because she was a slave, she made lots of money for her masters. Well, she was walking along saying this, and Paul got irritated about it, after several days. Now, here's the big question for all you big theologians. Why in the world did he wait several days to deliver this girl? Okay? I mean, it took him, like it says, several days later, you know, he, he delivers this girl. So he just speaks and the demon says, Get out. And the demon gets out. Okay? Well, that makes the masters all mad because no longer can she make them money. Human trafficking, Judy. Okay? No longer can she make them money. And so they go angry, and they take Paul and Silas. They take them down from the magistrates and said, "Hey, these people are teaching things that we're not. Law, it's not lawful for us to hear." And didn't mention the girl as far as the Bible tells. But, but then the magistrate got all fired up and orders them to be beat, um, beaten with rods. And the word is actually it's severely beaten with rods. Then they call the jailer, the local prison guy. By the way, happens to be a Roman jail. Because Philippi was a Roman colony. They bring the jailer in and says, okay, we want these guys thrown, their words, thrown into prison. We want them guarded carefully. Hashtag don't let them escape. Okay? So they drag Paul and Silas down to the jail. They take them to the inner prison, the most secure place. They put them in stocks, and one commentary describes how in a Roman jail, that would be their legs spread as far apart as possible and lock them in that position. And that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 16 and verse number 25. And there are, there are key, three key things that you need to be writing about today, either in the app or on the sermon sheet or somewhere. You need to be noting these things. There are three things that are very important. We learn this one verse, okay? Okay. The first thing is notice the timing. Notice the timing. The first two words or three words, you know, in Acts sixteen twenty-five, the first part, it says about midnight. About midnight. Well, I thought I'd be really intelligent and look up the, what the word in the Greek meant, and it meant the middle of the night. I said, wow, that's profound, okay? But, but the key thing is they've been beaten, they've, they've been thrown in prison and, and they sit sat there, and it's in the middle of the night. It's the, one of the darkest times of the day. And what I want you to hear right off the bat is this. Have you ever had a darkest time of the day? Maybe you're in there one right now. Maybe there's something going on in your life right now that it is absolutely midnight to you. It's the darkest time. It's a time when it seems like the world shuts down because they don't care, and you are by yourself, and you're sitting in the darkness. Everyone ever sat in the dark before? Maybe you're, maybe you're here today, and you're in, the, in a prison today. And maybe that prison is addiction. And today you're seeing yourself in the prison of addiction, and you're in the dark, and you're sitting all by yourself. Maybe, maybe it's the prison of fear or anxiety, and, and your insides are just turning. You, 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 you get in bed at night, and your mind's going 900 miles an hour about responsibilities and what ifs and what ifs and what ifs, and, what ifs. and you are sitting in the dark in the prison of anxiety. Maybe you're sitting in the prison of a broken marriage. Your your husband or your wife has chosen to step outside the marriage vows, and you know it. And it's just tearing you apart because you realize it's going to tear your family apart. And you're sitting in the dark of a broken marriage. Maybe you've got moms and dads who simply do not care about you. They don't care. They don't care when you come in or when you get out. They don't care anything about you. And you're in that prison of parents who don't love. I don't know what your prison looks like, but maybe, maybe you're in that dark place right now. Certainly most of us have been in that dark prison somewhere. I want want to read to you an incredibly powerful scripture that talks about midnight. Here's what it says. It's from Psalm 139, 7 through 12. The psalmist writes and says, Where can I go to escape From your spirit. Where can I go? Speaking to God, where can I go to escape from your spirit? Now think Jonah. Think a guy on the run. Maybe you're here today and your prison is caused by the fact you're running from God. You may be a child of God, but you're running from Dad. You're running from the Father. You're like the prodigal son, you're leaving. You're out of here. You're tired of the rules. He's let you down too many times. Think Jonah. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Or the psalmist says, Where can I flee from your presence? Maybe you're like Elijah. Elijah wasn't running from God. he's running from a woman. A woman named Jezebel. And she looked him dead in the eye and said, I'm going to kill you. By this time tomorrow, you'll be dead. And maybe there's something in your life going on right now that, that said to your heart, You're going to die. I'm going to take you. And there's nothing you can do about it. Think Elijah. So where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Now here goes. Watch this. This is good. If I go to heaven... If I go to the highest peak, if I climb the top of Mount Everest, um, you're there. You're there. Um, If I make my bed in Seol, you're there. In other words, if you are looking death in the eye, God, you're there. I thought about several people, I can think three in my mind instantly, who have been on the edge of the grave. For all practical intents, they knew they were going to die. And God saw fit to deliver them. And the psalmist says, if I'm looking death, if I'm staring death in the eye, if my loved one is staring death in the eye, he says, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, if I go as far east as I could go or as far west as I could go, he says, even there your hand will leave me or your right hand will hold on to me. It's amazing. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light around me will be as night. Now, I wrote down here what I did. I starred my notes, and I wrote in big letters the word big. Because here's what it says. Even the darkness is not dark to you. Now, if you're sitting in a prison this morning, or you just got out of prison, and it was one of those prisons that I named or one I did not name. All you know is, is one of the darkest times of your life and you were sitting in pitch black. You did not know what was going to happen and how you were going to get out of there. Here's what you need to know. There's a God who loves you. And if you haven't trusted Christ, you need to do that. If you are a Christ follower, you had the privilege of calling him Father. Father. And the psalmist is saying... Your Father, even the darkness is not dark to you. Hey God, I know it seems dark to me, but here's the good news. It's not dark to you. Hey God, it seems really like midnight to me, but hey God, here's the good news. It's not dark to you. Hey hey God, they told me that Monday I'm getting the pinch slip and I've got five kids to provide for and it seems really dark, but God, by faith I'm declaring, by faith I have Joy that I have faith in you and trust in your sovereign will. Hey, God, I've got joy, okay? I've got joy, and it's not dark to you. He goes on and says this. The night shines like the day, and darkness and light are like to you. Now listen. If you know anything about God, if if you are a child of God today, maybe you're not as close as you should be. Maybe you're kind of like, you know, you live on the edge of the family. You need to know that. That your God, I told him this at the funeral I did yesterday. I said, I don't know what kind of God you got. You may have a weenie God. Okay? But I want you to know something. The true God, Jehovah God, is not a weenie God. He's the creator of heaven and earth. And he has incredible night vision. It's much, so much so that the night shines like the day and darkness and light are like to you. You need to know that. Paul and Silas needed to know that as their back was bleeding, as their wounds was oozing, as their legs were aching they needed to know that the God they serve, that darkness and light were like to you. And I think they did know that. Uh, Ron, Ron Mell, uh, author, wrote a book entitled God Works the Night Shift. Wrote it in 1994. It's an incredible book, just like it says, how God works in the dark. How in the darkest moments of our life, God works in the dark. Interestingly enough, by the way, he wrote the book in 1994. He had cancer. And guess what? He died. He died in 2003 of cancer. But the truth he wrote about was true in 94 when he wrote it, and it's true in 2003 when he died. Here's what he said. He said, despite the way things sometimes appear, surroundings or circumstances, no matter how your circumstances or surroundings appear, God is continually at work. He's continually at work in your life. In fact, he often, and I put he regularly, he often regularly does his best works in the darkness waiting to unveil his masterpieces in his perfect time so he's working in the dark and at just the right time he's going to unveil the masterpiece to you have you ever had a situation that was really dark and afterwards you look back and you go oh that's why god's good at that that's good at that well, all we have to do is we have to be patient for god to do the unveiling and by the way it may be heaven Something dark may happen in your life. You may never understand it. But when you get to heaven, you go, oh, oh, I see now. I see now. I understand now. So he goes on and says this. God's continually in your life and all he does his best works in the darkness, waiting to unveil his masterpieces. His masterpieces in his perfect time. So I want you to remember that God works the night shift. I want you to take that home. And if you're right now, if you're in a dark, I've got several family members, you know them, that they're in dark places right now. They're in dark places. I want you to know God works the night shift. If tomorrow morning you wake up and your back hurts or something and you go to the doctor and he says that C word or something, I want you to know, listen, in a week God still works the night shift. You know, any young folks, as you go through life and life is difficult, I want you to know God works the night shift. When time comes for us to take our last breath, God will still work. The night shift. Aren't you glad for that? Amen. That's the kind of God that He is. God works the night shift. And in Psalm 121 4, it says, Indeed, He who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So, timing at midnight. Now, what is occurring in the life of Paul and Silas at midnight? What is occurring in the life of Paul and Silas at midnight? Remember, their, their back is bleeding, the wounds are, wounds are oozing, and the legs are spread apart, and they're in pain and agony. Okay? In verse, the middle part of verse 25, it says this. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. So in the midst of this darkness, and their darkness, in their prison, Paul and Silas are praying and worshiping. Now, I want you to catch something. Okay? Um, it says singing hymns to who? To God. To God. This wasn't positive thinking. This wasn't Paul against sides going. Our backs really don't hurt. Our legs aren't aching. Our wounds aren't oozing. This is all. Listen. Think positive. Think positive. Don't go to the dark side. Think positive. You know what this was? This was authentic and genuine worship in the worst of circumstances. You know, here's something you need to know. In 2 Corinthians 3.17, Paul writes again to the Corinthian church and says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. you want to know why Paul and Silas were worshiping? They knew something we don't know. That worship is freedom. Worship is is freedom. I don't care. Now, by the way, I want you to know something. I really thought about this. This is not something I just thought of and said, well, that sounds cute. Okay? Nor am I standing before you today saying, if this happened to me, I would instantly have this under control. But I'm, ta- I'm going to tell you a real good truth, and that is worship will set you free. Genuine worship will set you free. When you're in a prison... Genuine worship, because listen, you know, again, let me read to you. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Paul and Silas understood that, that as the Spirit of God was in that dark, dank Roman prison where the Spirit was, there is freedom. I wrote this down and said this. Genuine worship is the key to the prisons that hold us. Genuine worship is the key... To the prisons it holds. Is it a prison of fear? Anger? Anguish? Anxiety? Brokenness? Low self-esteem? Addictions? Part of your freedom, a chunk of your freedom, is going to be found when you learn to genuinely worship God in your prison. In your prison. I finished the statement with this. You see, Paul and Silas were free before they were free. Before they walked out of the prison, Paul and Silas were already free, and they found that freedom in God Almighty, and they found God Almighty in the midst of their worship. Come on now, I'm telling y'all need. This. I'm telling you need this. You are sitting there and you're depressed today, and you're in darkness. You're sitting there and you don't know what tomorrow holds, or maybe you do know what tomorrow holds, and you are in prison. And God wants to set you free, and he's saying the key to the door lies in when you are willing to exercise your joy and believe in me, have faith in me, and trust in my sovereignty and worship me, not because of what I can do, but for the God that I am. See, we we don't want to worship God unless we get exactly what we want. That's secular worship. Spiritual worship is worshiping God because of who he is. Not his performance, which is magnificent, by the way. But because of who he is. John eight thirty six says, And if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. If Jesus Christ sets you free, no prison can hold you. A prison can hold your body. Cancer may hold your body, but it can't hold who you are. An abusive husband may beat you down. But Jesus Christ that sets you free in your spirit. If you're no matter what the situation you are, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. One of the quotes I threw up today, and one I put in the in the worship app, is: "Worship puts life in perspective. Worship puts prisons in perspective. Worship puts circumstances in perspective. Genuine worship." is so, so important. Psalm 34.3 says, Oh, magnify, oh, magnify, oh, now watch, magnify, make big. Oh, make God big. Oh, make God big with me. And let us exalt His name together. See, you want to know why it's important? David always blesses my heart. My worship leader tells me, Dwayne, the main deal is what you do after I, after we worship. He understands the power and the importance of teaching the Word of God. He understands that. But let me throw it back in your lap, David. Worship is so important. Worship is so important. What we, no matter what else happens on Sunday, we need as a congregation to corporately worship together. Because it's huge. That is when we exalt. That is when we practice Psalm 34. Oh, magnified, hey, hey, before we hear the word of God, before we hear the word of God, let's make God big. Let's make God big. Let's exalt His name together. And I excuse me, but that does not depend on how loud or soft the music is. It does not depend on what style of music it is. Worship does not depend on either one of those. Worship is a matter of the heart. And I tell you what, when you've been saved, God gave you a new heart. Worship Him. Worship Him. Because He is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our worship. Now, going down. Okay, so it's midnight Paul and Silas are worshiping. And here comes the big part. The last part, verse 25. And the prisoners were listening to them. It's, the word here, listening, in the Greek, is a, it's a very strong word. It's an intent to be intently listening. Husbands, it's what you don't do for your wives. Are you listening to me? Uh-huh. You're really not. Well these guys, as, as Paul and Silas are worshiping and praying, the listener, the, the prisoners are listening intently. Listening intently. You know, again, I wrote I wrote worship, war, and wines. Worship worship is worship. War is when you're angry with God. God hates you for what you've done. I hate you you allowed my, my, my marriage to fall apart. I hate you that my dad abused me. It's, it sometimes gets at that. And, well, you know about whining because you hear me do it all the time. You know, I'm the king of the whiners. Nothing could be finer. There's stop there. Okay. Worship war and whiners. Now listen. The sounds of the night shift are different than that of the day. In other words, we, when we're healthy and wealthy and wise, we can worship pretty freely. We can live freely, but when the night comes, when the prisons come and it's dark and it's midnight, it's different. We're more likely to declare war on God and wine in the darkness of our prisons. It's hard to worship. The sounds of the night shift are different than that of the other day. Remember. The world is looking and listening. Now, this was put in before the video this morning. The world is looking and listening. Don't act as if they are both blind and deaf. Now, I think you understand what we showed you this morning. The video that was shot and the pictures of Jim doing what he did were not by a church member. He had no idea anyone was watching. And that's what makes it powerful. He simply was doing the right thing. He's simply doing the right thing. And there happened to be someone watching with a camera ...and deeply touched them. I don't know if you could hear the audio or not. The young lady is moved to tears... ...because of what she's seen. And her closing statement was... ...there are some good people in this world. I want you to understand something. The world watches you every day. They watch you at Walmart... ...when you're in the line the line's too long... ...or somebody sits too long at the traffic light. Not that I would ever say anything about those two situations... Because I'm the world's most patient person. Okay? Not! Anyway, so so the world is watching then, but we're when we're in prison, we're, when we're in that dark time of our life, the prisoners are listening. The prisoners are listening. So it's particularly then that we need to listen. Then we move on. Verse 26, the first part. Suddenly... Sunday. there was a such there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken so at midnight there's worship going on the pre the uh, preachers the prisoners are listening okay and then there's this violent earthquake this violent earthquake now that's and i wrote down this little caveat almost not surprisingly I mean, wow, you've got, you've got God's people suffering, you know. Let my people go. You've got them bleeding and oozing. Their legs are apart. Man, God just steps down from heaven. Bam! Sends an earthquake. Who would be surprised? I mean, he parted the Red Sea for the children of Israel. He called Lazarus out of the grave. Not surprising at all. But just hang on a minute. Just hang on a minute. See, see, when, when God decides... To rock the world is both strategic and sovereign. When God decides to rock the world, it's both strategic and sovereign. In other words, it's like a laser-pointed bomb. It's strategic. It's planned. But it's also controlled. Did you hear what it said? The earthquake was so violent, it shook the walls or foundations of the prison. Question. Did the prison collapse? No. Why? God's in control. Come on. God's in control of your prison. God's in control of your prison. You know? You need to really grab a hold of that. But when God decides to rock the world, it is strategic and it is sovereign. He is in control. He, he did it on the cross. In cross, On Matthew 27, 50 through 51. You know the story. I won't spend a long time. But Jesus cried out with a loud voice, "Die! it is finished. It is done. It's over. And then he yielded up his spirit. Suddenly the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom and the earthquake. Why did God send an earthquake at the death of his son? He wanted to get the world's attention. And sometimes earthquakes come in our life to get our attention. But remember, they're strategic and they're sovereign. Um, In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, another earthquake occurs. You know, they were having prayer meeting, the church was, and when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. The place quaked, okay? And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God boldly. It's a confidence builder. A confidence builder. Sometimes God sends quakes to get people's attention, and sometimes it's to build our confidence. You remember you don't remember this in 08 we were, back when we still had revivals and uh, we, we had one and we called it remember this God Quake 08 remember what happened on Tuesday night 5 o'clock in the morning 3.2 earthquake we're sitting there and that, that, we had prayed that night for God rock our world should we have been surprised at 5 o'clock in the morning when Gene and I were woken in a shed? was that an earthquake it was it was Sometimes God just sends things to build our confidence. And that's one reason why he sent this earthquake. Okay? All right, now let's go a little bit further, a little bit further. Acts chapter 16, verse 26, the second part. And immediately, somebody say immediately. Strategic and sovereign. And immediately, all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. Now watch. It's really cool if you think about it. you got to think about this stuff. The foundation was shaken, but the walls didn't fall. But every door was opened, and all the chains fell off. Tell me you don't have a... Pr- pr- tell, t- tell me we don't serve a precise God. See, oh, wound up, but the devil's going to do this, and the devil's going to do that. De- honey, you serve the most powerful... No, you serve the most powerful, the only powerful God in all, all, all of creation and beyond, and he's precise in what he does worried about Satan And start glorifying and magnifying The one true God So, so the chains fall off And the doors get open Now now again, obviously, obviously You say, oh, the great escape See, before there was Steve McQueen In the great escape Then there was the, the Paul and Silas great escape Certainly God sent this earthquake And he sent the earthquake For the purpose of freeing his people Let my people go You're wrong he did not send that earthquake to free those people. How about that? Have you ever thought about that? See, there was something else going on that was bigger than Paul and freedom. I wrote, never underestimate the power of God to use your response to his circumstances to reach others. See, the earthquake was not about escape. Is about evangelism. See, this whole deal, this whole deal, this whole deal was not about Paul and Silas getting beaten and put in prison. The whole deal was about was not about how unfair Paul and Silas were treated. Do you know that's what the cross is all about? Well, 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 those terrible Romans and those terrible Jewish, look, they were just puppets in God's hand. No cross, no salvation. No cross, no redemption. You know, God's Word says in Acts, it all happened according to your perfect plan. When are we going to wake up and realize that our sovereign God is working on our behalf? We may not know it and may not like it, but he's going to bring something good out of it. In fact, it may, listen, your suffering might well be smack dab in the middle of God's perfect will. It was for Paul and Silas. Because you see, there was a man who needed Jesus. And God, God knew exactly what it would take to get his attention. You want to ponder that for a minute? God knew exactly what it would take to get his attention. Well, let's see what happens. Now, if you got the app out, your worship app, you've got a big one across there. See that? Now we're going to move real quickly through some, some points that are just magnificent. One. One heartbeat. Well, verse 27. The jailer woke up. He saw the doors of the prison standing open. He drew his sword... And was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. God knew exactly what it would take to reach this man. Okay? So here's the deal. The Roman jailer knew that if they escaped, whatever punishment they got, he got. He was going to be executed. Okay? You've probably not noticed it. And I really didn't understand why I put it in the the slideshow, the movie, But here's what it says. I grabbed it because I liked it. I'm not even sure why I liked it. Now I know why I liked it. Here's what that slide says. Danger! Do not touch. Not only will this kill you, it will hurt the whole time you are dying. I didn't know why I put that in there. You know why it was? It's what this Roman jailer knew. He knew he was going to die if these prisoners escaped. But not only was he going to die, he was going to hurt the whole time he was dying. Romans were good at torture. So it wouldn't be just a matter of taking him out to the square and lobbing his head off. That would be too easy. They would torture him first and then kill him. And so he said, you know what? It's just better to take my life. And you understand, this man is one heartbeat from hell. One heartbeat. One heartbeat. What if Paul inside, said, out of here. Obviously, God wants us to run free. Obviously, let's get out of here. He would have died and split hell wide open. Yeah. You know, we are a marvel at the cross and how far God went for our salvation. He does it all the time. He set this whole thing up so this jailer would have the opportunity to be saved. Amen? I mean, am I blowing it out of proportion? It's crazy. It's crazy good. Okay, so we got hurt. did I look at the clock. Okay, so, so look at verse 28. So Paul called out in a loud voice, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. Paul responds. And by the way, I think he responds this way partially because he'd just been in worship. His heart was ready. Don't harm yourself. Everyone is here. Now, if we had time and we don't, we talk about the fact that everyone's there. We talk about influence. None of the prisoners ran. None of them. We're all here. Don't harm yourself. Don't commit suicide. Don't take your life. Don't die by suicide. Okay? We're all here. So, Acts 16, 29. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in. He fell down in trembling. And before Paul and Silas, he said, he escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, How did God get him there? He certainly probably heard the echoes of worship through the halls of a prison. As he's fixing to fall on his sword, he hears the voice of the man that he locked up. Don't harm yourself. We're all here. And instantly it drove him to a point of, I want what you got. It wouldn't happen without the prison. It wouldn't happen without the beatings. But God used those to bring it to this point. How can I be saved? So what I'm trying to say is this. Life is difficult. Life is really hard sometimes. But we need to be sensitive enough to wait and see what God's going to do. See what God's going to do. Boy, I wish I had more time. I'll tell you a story another time that happened to us um, just last week when we were at this conference. But it'll have to be another time. I wrote down the words of this video, the gospel video. And what part of the line said, Like a blinding light in the dead of night is the gospel. So this man instantly comes to seize his need. What must I do to be saved? And Paul said, Well, listen, You know, first become a Baptist. Uh, you need to come to church three Sundays in a row, and then we'll talk about it. Okay? Um, oh, are you willing to give money? You know, yeah. Are you willing to give God a little seed money? We'll give back tenfold? No. You know what they said? You know what they said? They said the truth. They said the gospel. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And there's a little bit more grace on store because and you and your household. Now it wasn't group salvation. You'll see that because he says in verse 32. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his household. So if you want to be saved if you're sitting here today and you want to be saved, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be saved has nothing to do with church or Baptist or giving money or how good can I be or giant scales. It has to do with God's amazing grace provided by His Son dying on a Roman cross, paying the price for the sins of the entire world. Black, white, green, yellow, long sin list, short sin list. It doesn't matter. It's grace, God's unmerited favor. Katie sang all about it. Your grace still amazes me. And the Bible says, and the Bible says that, well, he took them the same hour of the night, so we're talking about maybe about 1230 in the morning. He took them out the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Whew, this will preach. Right away, right away, he and all his family who had trusted Christ were baptized. In the middle of the night. Where do we get off waiting six years to be baptized? I'll be baptized, you know, in three years. Man, if you know Jesus and you haven't been baptized, come down and take Brent's hand and say, this is something I need to settle today. I know Jesus and I need to be obedient in baptism. Amen. This needs that. Lydia, when Lydia got saved by the river, immediately she was baptized. When the Philippian unit got saved, immediately he was baptized. Come on, man. Come on. You love Jesus, you trust Him, follow Him in this act of obedience. Be baptized. Be baptized, they immediately were, and then finally, finally, he brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and watch, 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 watch and rejoiced and was joyful. And trust me, it wasn't an emotion, it wasn't a felt. I, I, I can see this man playing it out in his head. You all saw me and Judy celebrating this morning when that email, that text message came about Jim sharing this. On World Hunger Day, 6 o'clock in the morning, here comes this video and this Facebook post about one of our members sharing World Hunger Bags On the very day, a day when we're supposed to be celebrating it, God did it. Come on, amen? Shoot that thing. Shoot that thing. I can just see this fella rejoicing because he had put his faith in God and trusted in his sovereign will. Ooh. He and his whole household had come to believe in God. Wow. I bet Paul was I bet Paul was going, Oh, that's what that beating thing was about. <laughs> I was wondering why I was getting beat with rods. Now I know. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, as you face these storms in life, don't just think they're arbitrarily happening. Believe in the sovereignty of God. That if God allows this to come into your life, okay, He has a purpose. Shall we Shall we say it to you one more time? All things. How many? All things. All things work together for good to those who love God for the call according to His purpose. Let God storm-proof your life. And let Him do it through the heartfelt, genuine worship of the one true God. Why don't you bow your heads right there? I pray this was a blessing to you. I really do. I pray to help you. If you're in a storm or we're in a storm or coming up on a storm, that it will help you. Now, in the time of decision, we give you an opportunity to act on the truth that you heard today. And one is, of course, I mentioned about Jesus dying on the cross. And if you're here today and uh, you have never trusted Christ, man, God loves you so much. He loves you so much he sent his only son to die on a cross that you could have forgiveness of sins, that you could have forgiveness of sins. And so Brent's going to be standing down front, and you just, I know it's kind of scary in front of two, 300 people to come up and say, Hey, I, I want to know about this Jesus, but trust me, it's, it's, it's the greatest decision. Ask the Philippian jailer guy. He'll tell you it's the best decision ever, best decision ever. And we'll have someone share with you and try to answer your questions about what it means to be saved and have your sins forgiven having faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today and you're in a prison. And I hope today you saw that God sees in your dark, okay? Day and light are the same to Him. And He loves you and He's right there. He is in the prison with you, okay? He is in the prison. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So He's in your prison, okay? And in His time, He's going to set you free. It may be heaven, but He'll set you free. If we can pray with you about that, then you come on down. We've got some folks who'd love to pray with you about that. If you've got a decision you need to make about being baptized, you know, gee, I need to do this. I know Jesus if I've never been baptized. Perhaps join in our church fellowship. Whatever God has for you, you feel free to do that. This is our time to decision for you to act on the truth that you've heard today. We would love to help you, and then we can. God, you are so good and gracious. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for this wonderful day. We have seen your hand on it, and we're grateful. For it. So, Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to speak to the hearts of folks and help them to any decision they need to make. Um, help them to have faith in you and to trust you and your sovereign will. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.